It's time now for episode five, Homer Security. This episode, we kick off season two with Home Security. Please go to in-security.org for previous episodes, show notes, and to be able to leave comments. Send us an email at feedback at in-security.org. And follow us on Twitter at Insecurity Show. My name's Matt. And my name is Matt! Hey, how you doing this week, buddy? Oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, handsome as ever. And you? Uh, short as ever. I am super surprised that we've done something 50 times in a row, other than playing games. That we've done something productive 50 times in a row. Hmm. I've Hmm. never done anything productive 50 times in a row. What episode number is this? This is 50, technically 51, because we did a part A, part B. Yeah. Yeah. So, happy 50. Happy 50th, everybody. Yeah. All of that said, what are we... Wait a minute. Episode? What are we talking about? What are you, talk, what are you talking about? Episode? What are we doing? Just two guys having fun. Have you ever seen those the- things that people ride around on the on the street? They're like these little stand-up electric scooters. They've got handles and two wheels down the bottom. Uh, and they, they steer by the way you tilt. Oh, speaking of segues, what's today's episode about? <laughs> Brilliant. I don't know. I thought, so here's a little story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, was working at a job and then I quit uh, because another job came along and it was lit. So back in the day, born and raised, working at a financial institution back in the days, director of mine <clears throat> thought it'd be fine to tell me all about how to uh, influence people into liking more security stuff. So <laughs> What he had mentioned is that is you don't this get lived. This yeah. is the best thing I've ever heard. Oh my god! Okay, you're sorry. interrupting me. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> your flow is so fresh, Prince of Bel Air. I stopped flowing. Um, so this old director of mine was like, "Hey, you, you get people to care about infosec at their job by them caring about infosec at home." And you just like talk to them about what they could do at home to have like, because home is where they care about stuff. So I thought I've been playing around with stuff at home for a long time to make my home actually secure and maybe be useful for people to know. And maybe people would care about securing their home and their family as far as kind of their home network goes and, and what they do. So I thought maybe we could talk about that. Then it got really complicated in my mind. That's the whole Okay, so let me uh, take this and sort of pivot, sort of tie it back to what the old idea of the old show that we used to do before the last episode that we ever did, which was the last episode that we've done. That's sensible. The last episode of all times. So the idea was geared towards businesses. Now, if you have people, and this was always the greatest weakness that we kept discussing over and over and over again was the people. Mm. Right. So if you were to, so is, is your boss saying that if there was a way that we could make people themselves care about security and start learning about it and start being interested in it, then they would actually bring that with them to the workplace. Yeah. Well, that's astounding. There's another piece to this, which is the idea that securing your home, home is in very many ways today securing a lot of people's workplaces. There's a whole bunch of work from home folks. There's a whole bunch of super small businesses that are really small startups. And again, that ties back into what we were sort of looking at originally back in the old show. (laughs) I'm going to have to stop referring to that because people are going to think we actually ended the show on the last episode with the, the way things were going before like super small businesses are effectively mom and pop shops a lot of the time. Oh yeah. And and what do they have as far as like network gear goes? They have just the consumer stuff that you go and you buy at Staples or Best Buy or Radio Shack or um, micro computer store or tiny, tiny, any corner computer bites. Yeah. So this sounds like an amazing pivot and one that I've been interested in us looking at because I like the idea of computer security. I'm not a computer security expert and a way to try and learn about computer security from an enterprise level is to look at it from the small stuff and work 
towards that. Now, we've covered a lot of really big things. We've covered some real interesting parts and pieces of uh, some bigger stuff. We've also covered some small stuff, and uh, that's all great. But now I'm I'm loving this idea of starting to look at home security. Let's dive right in. I think that I have a foot switch that will mute me so that I can drink. <laughs> oh, hey, it's working. Very good. Yeah, it does work. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, you know, when we started doing this show, it was about all about getting people into security. And we talked about various roles that people have within an enterprise and, and a lot of kind of technical stuff. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's the people, hearts and minds. And we talked about social engineering and, and stuff like that. And reality is, how did I get into doing security? Well, I got into doing it by having a passion for it and playing around with gear at my house and hearing about what's going on in the world outside around me. <clears throat> and, you know, quite frankly, I've said it lots of times before, I would rather learn vicariously from somebody else's mistakes than my own. Mind you, I have you around to make plenty of those. Oh my goodness. I'm <laughs> the best at that. Um, every time that you bring up an example, I'm like, oh yeah, I did. I've done that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a, kind of a frightening topic because i know i'm not normal right like i've got a lot of gear at my house that's that's not normal that people would have just off the top of their you know when they want to have internet in their house most people get like a router for, from their internet service provider and that's got wi-fi on it and they plug that in and they plug their computer in and maybe they share a computer amongst the household or whatever I mean, we're changing. Most people have computers in their pockets now, right? And as we're talking about IoT, people have like devices around their house that are controlling their light switches, watering their plants for them, making drawing stuff in LEDs. So I'm just trying to figure out all the things that you've got in your place that you've, you've been playing with. It's weird. It's already weird. Everybody has some sort of home... Well, no, that's not true. Not everybody. But a lot of people do. Maybe all of our listeners. Hold on. Let's try this. Hey, Google, download another copy of our show. Nice. Sorry, Boosting. I don't understand. Damn it, Google. <laughs> Boost those numbers. Do, do, do. To increase your bandwidth cost that we don't get compensated for. Damn it. <laughs> so anyway, I'm really bad at the, that part. Hey, look, remember when we were talking about making mistakes? Thanks. Thanks for pointing that out. I've been thinking about this for a while, ever since kind of sending you the text of a bunch of show ideas. And you're like, that first one is top notch. Um, and it's like, how do we explain this in a way? Because everybody's different um, environment. Their home is kind of configured differently. So some people have Apple TVs. Some people have Chromecast. Some people... You know, don't have any of that. Some people just have their computers. Most people have smartphones nowadays in North America. What What's really the risk of that? And it's like, it all depends on kind of your setup. So how do you distill it down into something that's practical for everybody? And the way I thought about it is, what do we find out in the internet is that things that are kind of outside of your control get abused and then you as a consumer feel the impact of that. Right. And there's always a convenience to security trade-off, right? In implementing more security might be more cumbersome. Most of the time it is. Yeah. So I think that there's kind of different tiers of paranoia and caring. And I'm not going to make an assumption about our listeners that probably range the spectrum. I'm going to go ahead and say that this is our most popular episode ever. And has been shared so many times. So I just want to throw out a little uh, caveat for anyone who is new to the show. Welcome. This is our first episode ever. So just, you know, bear with us while we do all of these goof em ups. But uh, one thing that is very central to all of the discussions that we have never had because this is our first show is that there's no out of the box turnkey solution to security. Yeah. Everything that we discuss and or recommend and or all of that is already probably broken somehow. Just nobody has figured it out or 
if they figured it out, they haven't shared it. Yeah, I think what you're saying is there's no like foolproof system. Yeah, there's always going to be someone else out there who can who will break it and be malicious. Right. And and a lot of times people just want something like, hey, I'll just throw a hundred dollars of the problem. It goes away and I never have to think about this again. That's awesome. Unfortunately, that's not the way this works. It would be awesome. Remember? Okay, so let me abstract this again. Do you know the club for the car? Yeah, yeah. So it's... Stick it in your steering wheel. It's got a little bar that sticks out further. Yeah, yeah. Can't drive off with the car because eventually you have to turn and it would jam into leg of the driver, some of the supports that keep the roof on, that kind of stuff. For anyone who ever watched TV in the 80s or 90s or whenever it was, I don't remember. There was this device called the club and Max has just explained it for you. It was very quickly proven to be easily overcome by anyone who is really willing to steal a car. It's not a super solution, but what it is, is a deterrent. Yes. A lot of what we end up discussing here on the show ends up being almost considered as deterrents. There's a bunch of stuff where you'll actually have proper security and you'll have great ideas and great uh, activity. But think about it this way for something like home security, some of it can be considered deterrent. If it's a lot harder, then they might not consider it worth it. Yeah, when I first was looking at getting involved in InfoSec from the outside, there was a guy at the financial institution that I was working at kind of doing this user awareness thing. And he actually talked, it it was really influential to me. I don't remember all of the components that he had mentioned, but he was talking about like preventative controls, stuff that prevent things from happening. There's deterrence that will delay someone. Then there's alerting, reporting stuff that'll like allow somebody to react to something. So in just in those combination, you've got your prevention, which makes it kind of impossible to do, or at least a technique impossible to do. Then you've got the deterrent that delays somebody and making it longer for them to accomplish their goal. Then you've got the you know, alerting that it's like the sirens going off that tells people to go and look while somebody's being delayed to go and react to it. You got the reaction component to it where how do how do people go and make that security problem fixed and right and catch somebody in the act or call the police and get them involved to, to react to it. And then you've got like an improvement phase and it all kind of forms a circle where you just keep going around. Right. And you just keep tightening over time that security down to something that's like that you actually feel safe and secure at the end of the day. That sounds like something that should have an amazing acronym. I just don't know what it was. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it, but it's like prevent, detect, react, respond, recover is kind of how it's typically seen in, in InfoSec stuff. Oh, so. <laughs> It's a pretty good yeah. acronym. So anyway, yeah. let's talk more about pudr later. Let's. Keep I guess going. it's kind of like purring for a cat. And internet is all about cats. So yeah, we're onto a hot, hot streak here. It's amazing. You know, everybody's kind of risk tolerance is different too. So that adds extra complexity. But what I've decided to boil this down to is it's all about how much control do you want? And security is all about how much control you have over kind of a situation that makes you feel safe. And some people, you have, the control is, I'm going to give this to somebody else to worry about, and then I don't have to, and that's okay. Right. So I guess thinking about it from the outside in, you know, you, you get the internet coming into your house. It terminates in something like a modem that converts it from like cable, fiber, or phone line into like ethernet that you can use and connect and get it like a TCP IP stack that you can communicate over all your electronics can communicate over. So how much control do you have with that? I'm my ISP is called tech savvy and they release lines from bell and my modem is actually a bell controlled device. It's called like a custom customer premise equipment that terminates their control to me. I have the ability to make some very small changes to it. So I can do, I can reset the admin password because they have a backdoor into it. Right. I can set up some basic firewall rules onto it where it denies anything, but I can route it to 
kind of the internal network. It's got like network address translation where it'll um, take all of my internal network and pipe it and make it look like one single IP address to the outside. Right. And I can set up port forwarding so that I can have kind of servers in my house doing stuff even for the more advanced side um, and, and pipe it through that. So cool. We've got like this demarcation of control right now. Do you have a limitation on the ports that you can forward? This is a digression, by the way. I haven't hit the maximum number. No, but, but like, I do currently have, have about 10. Do in they there. limit the ports that you can forward? Like, for instance, 8080. Ah, so they very well might, um, from a routing perspective, stop kind of known bad service ports or stuff that's kind of questionable that they don't want to get involved with. Mm-hmm. So that I can't run maybe like a Tor exit node or something of that out of my house, right? Without like permission or something like that. I don't think we've talked about 8080 before. I'm pretty sure, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, that 8080 is the uh, 8080 is the generic port for web servers. Um, I mean, there's 80 is HTTP. So that's just like straight up mm-hmm. going to a website is 80. So, you, but you can run a, a server on whatever port you want. You can run it on, but there's a, a standard, which is. So 80, 80 is thought. the most common one for straight up HTTP. That's not encrypted. 443 is the standard one for like HTTPS where you get the little lock icon. This is a certificate running, hopefully there. Mm-hmm. 8080 is used by a lot of kind of other web servers that you would have in commodity hardware or, you know, spinning up one that doesn't want to take port 80. Okay. It might be blocked. But yeah, like from port 1 to port 1024 are assigned ports. And then anything above that is called an ephemeral port, which is like there's maybe some guidance on what should be at that port, but it's not necessarily followed. I don't think we've talked about this before. I think that this is wildly complex and very interesting. It's something that we should maybe consider at a later episode. So all you really need to know, though, you can run anything on any port and through network address translation on your uh, firewall router slash modem that we were talking about earlier, you can just shuffle those off to wherever. So even if they do block port 8080, for instance... I'm going to throw you out on the spot. Instead of saying that you can run things on any port, can you give me like a high level of what a port is? Sure. Uh, have you ever watched 24? Dun, dun. <laughs> so uh, here's... What was his name? Not Harrison Ford. Um, Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland would always say, Chloe, open me a port. And it made no sense because it didn't mean anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, no. is the best, this is the best explanation of anything. Have you ever it. watched Quantum Leap? Remember so, when he jumped to the new place? Yeah. So a port, your IP address is like your address of your house, mm-hmm. which tells people where to go to. A port is like an entranceway. A window, a door, a mailbox, you know, something that's there that's that's physically accessible. And each one kind of serves a different purpose. You know, windows are to look through or to provide maybe air going through. A doorway is for someone to walk in and out of. You know, a garage door is for a larger thing to get stored in your garage kind of thing. These are the intended purposes Dude, of these this points. is an amazing analogy. So if you want to, you can go out a window. You I can, mean, absolutely. You're not supposed to. And in case of works. a fire, maybe it's the best way out of a house, right? Is that a firewall thing? a criminal thing? can go in through a window. Yes. Yeah, see, there's there's the problem. So this is the, the beautiful idea The the idea of ports, very succinctly put, uh, you have your IP address, which has a limited number of different possibilities, different permutations, but the ports at the end of each IP address are also limited, but much, much larger. And the ports work as any sort of entry and or exit way and can be used however you want. You can declare which way you want to use them. But for the most part, a lot of them have standards 
and the standards are like a door is used for going in and out, a window is used for looking in and out, etc. Right. A yeah. chimney is used for smoke, but Santa still goes down that. What a that's right. What a malicious actor in this. He's story. exploiting entranceway that wouldn't otherwise be thought of for that purposes because most people don't contain the magic that is hacking to get in through there. I'm so proud of you for that uh, house analogy. Well done. Thank you. Moving on. Thank you for the explanation of ports. I think that some of the standard ports and how they are used are, I don't think we've spoken about it too much. I think that it's a very interesting topic that we might cover in the future show. Okay, cool. So going back to, it's about what you trust and the amount of control that you have. Since it's my connection to the outside world and I'm only partially in control of it, I'm slightly paranoid and want another layer of of that control that I fully own and control. Even though I fully pay for and quote unquote own the modem, it's still, um, I'm sharing um, access to it when I call up my ISP for support, they can connect to it. They can see the status of it, whether it's sending, receiving, they can push updates to it, that kind of thing. So I have another layer behind that with a firewall and a router of a different type so that I can actually be fully in control of equipment. And then I can have stuff hanging off of the, the, the modem that I have. It's got like four ports off of it. So I also have uh, a telephone line for my house off of that, which is a voice over IP phone. So it's like a virtual phone line. So that also has to terminate into something on, on my network. So I hang that one off of the customer premise equipment modem. And then I have that routed throughout my house as kind of just a phone line. And then I have the stuff that I control behind that. And then I have the ability to actually segment my network so that I can have my Internet of Things devices all communicating in one network and I can have my home network in another network and I can configure kind of firewall rules that say to tell the TV what to show, I I can tell it and stream to the TV what episode I want and the Internet of Things device, the Apple TV, the Chromecast or whatever has the ability to go out to the Internet and grab that information and show it on the TV, and the TV can go out and get its updates for its firmware. Uh, but it doesn't have the ability to talk to my computer directly. Right. And if I have people coming over for a party and they want to play some music, well, I can put them on a guest network that has the ability to stream to Sonos speakers around my house, but they can't access my computer from there. It, it, it's just like impossible for them to do that because I have firewall rules preventing them from doing that. So now how complex is that to set up? It's timely and it, it's a little cumbersome. Um, so then it's about kind of where do you get the bang for the buck for this? Um, and, and there's an expense too, like having another piece of equipment in my house. Well, I had it anyways from, from before because I had like, mm-hmm. The, the Wi-Fi that I have on my crappy modem is crappy and it's in my wiring closet in my basement behind me and that won't penetrate the whole house. So I bought like a really nice kind of Wi-Fi, an Asus router that has like four antennas off of it and it looks like the squid and it has like modern wireless protocols and it sends it throughout my house. So that'll do all that heavy lifting and all my router has to do is just do the routing stuff. The modem just has to do the modem stuff. And the Wi-Fi just has to do the Wi-Fi stuff. And that way, the Wi-Fi doesn't crash, which is a problem that I had lots of times before. Right, right. But it cost me. It cost me like 150 bucks Canadian at the time to have really good wireless that would go all the way across my house and serve you know, my family of five on a daily basis and, you know, uh, up to 40 people during a party. And we have a bunch of devices here because we're kind of nerds. So, so, I mean, the cost is not, first off, it's, it's generally not prohibitive. I don't want to, I don't want to talk at a turn. I mean, I know that you make um, dozens of hundreds of dollars a year. So a year, yeah. But with various service providers that I've spoken with, 
they are now starting to offer these devices called Wi-Fi pods. And the Wi-Fi pods are ultimately Wi-Fi repeaters, for lack of a better explanation. And really all it does is it, it it's almost like another wall wart that plugs into your wall, wall wart for everyone who is new to this, our first episode ever. Um, the wall wart is a, a thing, a dingus that plugs into your wall and is a great big lump uh, and sits there. And essentially what it's doing is it's going to pick up your Wi-Fi signal and it's going to repeat it so that every other device in the area and it uh, can connect to it and ex- it expands your Wi-Fi network. They're offering this instead of getting a better modem or router. Yeah. I mean, it okay. would be... That's, that's new to me, but there is a whole thing about uh, mesh networking that's coming out where mm-hmm. it's not just a repeater, but it actually does like handoff between which one's closer to you much better than a repeater does. And, and a Wi-Fi repeater is just like, again, it's like, hey, there's already a Wi-Fi network. I'm just going to expand it by repeating out everything. And, you know, you might get a little bit of broken telephone, but because everything that we do over Ethernet is so kind of robust and fast now, it can handle kind of those little errors that happen along the way. Right. But the mesh network is much cooler that it doesn't actually repeat from throughout the entire Wi-Fi network, exactly everything that's being said to all kind of components. Um, back in the day, we talked about like switches versus hubs mm-hmm. and we we're talking about like Ethernet stuff. So the Ethernet would just shout out everything that's being said to anybody and everybody just kind of learned to ignore what doesn't apply to them, except for if somebody was curious, then they would listen. Right. Whereas a switch says, okay, I know that you're connecting from here and want to go to there. And therefore I am going to very strongly connect this and not repeat it to everybody else. So that's kind of like the, the Wi-Fi mesh technology does that. And, and it's more expensive, but you get way better throughput and it doesn't bog down the whole network with more devices that you have. And it doesn't clog up kind of the airwaves with a bunch of extra devices. So I've seen not only other providers again uh we're in canada so the the solutions the providers are offering are different from what you might see in the states but i've seen um among other things even google themselves have what i believe is again a wireless repeater it might be this mesh network it is the mesh network yeah so in if that's the case then i could be absolutely wrong but it still uh is a it's it still feels to me like a solution that is easier than providing a better modem yeah it serves a different use case though like it it definitely performs a different utility so we're not recommending this device but we should put something about it in the show notes where would one find show notes I don't know. Where would one find the show notes, Max? Uh, they could go to in-security.org slash 404.htm. Come on. It's .php. We're fancy here. Oh, right. Uh, in-security.org slash EP050. That sounds amazing. 50. It's episode then you will be 50. redirected to the 404 page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll still you'll still get to see our 404 page. I don't think it's clever. Eventually, there'll be show notes put up. If you're interested in show notes, email feedback at in-security.org. <laughs> oh, dear. You, <laughs> Sorry. You got me good on that, that one. one. Take a sip. <laughs> oh. Huh. huh. Yes. Uh, very accurate. That's a joke that you came up with last episode our, on our final episode of the previous season <laughs> of in dash security.org. Oh, season one. Oh my God. Yeah. Is this S2? Sure. <gasps> oh, it's time now for season two of insecurity. Now I'm super excited about that. Also, we'll forget that by the end of the show. I'm pretty sure. Probably. Um, in my mind, it's all about the amount of control that you want to have. I have a pretty fancy-ish firewall that's 
worth probably a lot of money that I got for free um, that most people can't do that with, um, which gives me a lot of control on stuff. But that's kind of the you know ultra paranoid level that I was. My previous job, the company that I worked for, they were very concerned about like nation state type attacks. So I shielded that from my house. Like, right. I can only do so much protection of my own asset. If they're going to come after me, they're going to come after me. But it doesn't mean it needs to affect my wife, kids, and, and their stuff. Right. So I set up a separate network just for this asset that was hard hardwired into my router, my firewall, and turned off Wi-Fi wherever I went. And, you know, that was kind of part of the job is is being paranoid about that. Making sure that it doesn't impact the rest of it. So if I open up a malicious attachment or whatever and the bare kind of bare bones protection that was on it that I wasn't super comfortable with, you know, I did what I could to protect that asset. But if somebody really wants to get at it, they're going to get at it. Right. And it's about damage control at that point, right? How many other things is me getting compromised going to knock out? And hopefully it doesn't happen to me. But if it does, I want to make sure it's not, you know, affecting my spousal acceptance factor, not impacting kind of the hardware that I have around the house to back up my systems, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch of different things that you can do in your small business or home that can actually do that to protect stuff. So one is limiting the amount of access that you have. And it's kind of unintuitive, right? I'm the only person who runs my computer. My computer, I should be the administrator of it. All the responsibility is on me. Mm -hmm. We've talked lots of times about that's actually a bad practice to have. You're browsing the web. You're searching up things in the web uh, through Google or whatever. You're binging stuff, I think it's called. Yeah. And then click on the link and it brings you to a website that you don't really know the reputation of. And it's got all of these ads and the ads are like this mesh of things nowadays that are pointing you to 20 different places loading JavaScript. And if you don't load the right JavaScript at the right time, then it says, I uh, see you're blocking ads and I, you know, I, we need you to support us from loading ads. Right. And meanwhile, it's loading three malicious slates in the background that are, it's compromising your session there. And then it's going to compromise the next place that you surf to and all that stuff. We've had a couple of episodes about that. Yeah. It's a real tangible threat that is happening nowadays. The crypto mining thing running in the background just got canned by the people that produced it in the first place. So that there's that. That's good that we talked about beforehand. That's awesome. Yeah. The crypto miner dot JS for JavaScript. Mm -hmm. They, they killed the project. Doesn't mean it's not being used lots of places. So what you're saying is they're still potentially using it, but it's no longer supported by the company that originally created it. Yeah. So the person that originally created it had this scheme where they would share kind of profit and you're running JavaScript and JavaScript is an interpreted uh, language that a scripting engine being your computer, your browser's running Mm-hmm. And it's just raw code. So somebody can take that raw code and modify it to do whatever they want. Right. So there's lots of reasons why it might have gone away, but it's gone away. Yeah. So lots of people were angry about it, too. So there's that. Um, so it's about like having that control. If you don't want to run JavaScript, then you stop JavaScript from running by installing a plugin in your browser, perhaps like Node, Node.js. Right. No script, something like that. Right. There's there's a bunch of different plugins that do it. Then again, it's a bit of a trade off. Every time you run an extension in your browser or a plugin, that's the potential for somebody to also take control of your browser. So you're not making them. You're not running them. That means that it's up to someone else's whim to potentially change how they work and what they're serving up. Sure. But then thinking about it instead of a paranoid approach, but in like a risk-based approach, you go, I didn't code my Windows operating system. I'm running that, right? They can do the same thing there. I mean, um, don't they? <laughs> you know, there's enough people looking at network traffic or things like this uh, that they're actually starting to detect when things go rogue like that. Right. And they're detecting that, you know, some trusted plugins 
um, or some trusted uh, libraries that people are are uh, ha- have compiled within their software is getting bought by other people, and those other people are running it for a little bit, and then they're inserting malware, and then it gets detected, and they go, "The hell happened." The maintainer of this got bored of maintaining it. He's been doing it for 15 years. It's a thankless job. It was open source and free. Somebody offered him to take that load off of him. And he's like, finally, somebody wants to take it. Yes. No questions asked. No vetting done. And that person figures out a way of making it profitable for them. So it's about trust, but verify. And if you're not going to do it yourself, that's absolutely okay. Just hope that somebody else is. And if you can hire somebody else to do that, wonderful. But that's outside of the scope of home users and small business users, right? So minimizing the risk through use of these plugins is most likely better. Um, So for instance, password management, managing your own password, using the same password in all of these different websites that you go to that requires a different username and password. If you use the same password, the likelihood of one of those getting compromised now and somebody getting your password out of it is much bigger than having a unique password at all sites. So if one gets compromised, it doesn't compromise all of your other accounts. Let me ask you this. Yep. And this is, again, throwing you under the bus here. Um, If I use the same password, but a completely unrelated username and or email, does that have the same impact? If you can manage to have a different email address for all of your user accounts, then more power to you. That'll help you. That lowers the risk. Now, when credentials get compromised from like a leak, the bad guys take those compromised credentials Mm -hmm. and they'll put it into their password cracking mechanisms. So they'll keep a dictionary or a list of all known passwords that are in use and they'll go through them for every account that they can figure out. So if you're assuming that your account is unique to an email address that's not used for any other site, right? nobody has the ability to see or detect that, and it's not kind of let known through the credential authentication mechanism, then yeah, that's great. You've brought this up, and this is something that's super interesting to me. And so because of that, I've decided to start playing with a little bit and I don't know if you've noticed this, but at this point, every website seems to want you to sign up in some way and none of it adds value. Yeah. So there's a bunch of services out there and I do or don't recommend this. There's a bunch of services. My favorite is Gorilla Mail. Right. Not as in the ape, but Gorilla as in a Gorilla Fighter, where they will provide you with a temporary email address. Yep. Uh, the whole idea is you go to the site, they'll provide you a temporary email address. Then you go wherever you want to go, which requires an email address and a password. As soon as they send me the, please confirm your email address right after that, my email address no longer exists because you can delete right. it through yeah. these services. So what's going on there behind the scenes, behind your eyes, mm-hmm. is a little risk evaluation that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you're determining how important is this website to me? You're obviously willing to take a little bit of work effort on your own to go and do something about it, to go and set up this temporary guerrilla mail, right. right? But then you're like, is it something that's important? that I need to be secret? Is it my online banking credentials? Then maybe you treat that differently. Or is it, uh, you know, a one-time website that you want to download uh, a report from and will probably never, ever go back to again. Exactly. So as you're doing this mental math, you kind of determine, do I need a legitimate email? Will I need to ever do a password recovery for it? Right. You said that you're going to use a password storage device to house it temporarily or or maybe go back to and use all the time. And that's where I was getting to is like, how much effort is it to do what control? So going and creating a random email address that probably won't get reassigned to somebody that would want to compromise a low value website 
that you're only using to download a PDF of a presentation or something like that is probably on the on the verge of paranoid, but it gets you off of mailing lists. So maybe there's a convenience factor there that it's worth that effort to not get spam. The easier factor control that's a lot less effort is using a password manager. And a password manager will create a random unique password for you automatically for the website that you need to register for. So as long as you're not trying to protect your email account as your like you said, they're probably going to email you to confirm the fact that, yes, this is indeed me. That gets you onto mailing lists or whatever. So if you're not trying to protect against that, then it's so much less cost, tax, effort, all that stuff on you as, as a user to use a password manager to create a password that you never need to remember and that you can just save and then if you ever need to re-log in because your machine blew up or whatever and you need to reload it you've got that stored somewhere that you can pull back and it remembers your password and it's protected behind a master password and then it makes that logging into these websites way more easy and convenient and then maybe there's stuff that you don't even trust the password manager to store like all of your identity or online banking or whatever Maybe you just never put that stuff in your password manager because you can maybe remember, what, five accounts at any point in time. And those you, you save that mental space for those super privileged ones. Right. Uh, um, I mean, I, I do them both. Um, but again, we're relying on software yeah, yeah. and software is not flawless. So, yeah, you depend on a bunch of low value stuff to be in there, medium value stuff to be in the password manager, maybe, and maybe convenience is higher. So there's password managers. There's one that I use called password safe and password safe keeps a local encrypted file. And it's up to me to manage backing that file up. And it's just a file. So I can put it wherever I want. I can put it on Google drive. I can put it on Dropbox. I can put it wherever, right? And as long as I know how to retrieve that file, my computer blows up, my phone blows up. I have to manage synchronization of that file across devices. But that's a level of expertise and, and resiliency that I'm capable of managing. And I feel comfortable doing that. Right. And if if I update my password safe file on my computer, I've got to manage syncing it to my phone eventually. And if I put save it on my phone, I got to manage synchronizing it to my computer eventually. Or I can do Dropbox to automate that. So I'm comfortable actually maintaining that software uh, on my own. There's online-only password managers that manage that password synchronization through having a cloud service. And uh, those are things like 1Password or LastPass. uh, And and there's several others that I can't remember off the top of my head. But they actually uh, don't rely on you to manage that password synchronization wherever. And so if you go and use, you know, a computer at the library, then you log into that library computer and you say, uh, okay, I need my passwords. I'm going to go to also log into LastPass. And then it will automatically populate your passwords into the websites that you're going to. Now, there's an assumption that you actually trust that library computer. And should you? I don't know. You're not in control of that physical access to that device. Is it convenient? Yeah, it's convenient. Is it mostly keeping your stuff secure because it's all up in the cloud? Yeah, it probably is. Are there vulnerabilities in those password managers that are online? There actually have been. And, you know, there's a big hubbub about it because so much people are putting so much trusted information within those password managers. But I mean, that ties right back to what you were saying before. It's the software. If you don't make it yourself, you can't trust it because we don't know where it's going. I'm not saying you can't trust it, though, because I'm saying you have to define what you trust. You have to. Uh, you're, it's an acceptable risk. OK, let me yeah. let me rephrase that with any sort of software. You're putting your trust into something that you deem as an acceptable risk. Yeah. And there's something that I've learned over the time of being a security professional for you know 15 or so years, and that is. The more complexity, meaning the more software, the more dependencies, the bigger the actual file is that you have to run, the more bugs it's got in it, um, and probably the less 
trust you should have over it. Right. So, so yeah, people are making a big hubbub about password managers that got vulnerabilities in them. They compromise it. You got to remember, though, somebody finds a vulnerability, fixes that vulnerability. That vulnerability is no longer there. Right. Everybody else is protected a little bit higher. So unless somebody happened to be exploiting that vulnerability at that point in time, which is unlikely to affect everybody. Let me let me put it into context of vaccines. Right. Maybe maybe somebody's going to get affected by having a vaccine. Very, very unlikely. So there might be a vulnerability in one person from a vaccine being put into place. The effect on everybody with that herd immunity is more beneficial to society. Yeah. And and there definitely is some of that, like without going down a huge tirade about the responsible disclosure debate for vulnerabilities, which is in air quotes, because responsibility is defined by the person disclosing it versus the responsibility of the companies. Right. that have a vulnerability. And, and that's also a huge air quotes because every company reacts differently to that. Um, you know, we need people to find problems and let companies know that there's a problem. We need companies to react to those problems that are reported to them and fix those problems. And the incentives there are fluid, I think is the word that my new uh, VP said. It's a fluid meaning morally diverse for different people kind of scenario. Excellent. I'm showing us at an hour and 10 minutes, which probably means that this is about 30 minutes. <laughs> of all the, probably. All the nonsense I think this, I'm coming in. Yeah, I think this I think is actually a really good episode and I love it. So, okay. however. So, so, yes. Let me, gonna, let me preface this by saying, uh, I don't super feel like we've gotten really far into this topic because this is such a beautiful door that you have opened. And I really just want to start. Do you remember that Simpsons episode? There was this episode in the Simpsons years and years ago, like season seven back when it was still good. And it turned out that Mr. Burns was infected. Like he was sick, but with everything he was so old that he had everything and yeah, all the these viruses alive. and all these things were trying to push through the door and because everything was trying to push through the door simultaneously none of them could get through so nothing yeah. was able to take him down um right that's basically what i think season two of this show is going to be like okay. um there's a whole bunch of things that i kind of want to talk about there's things like uh the pie hole how yes. familiar are you with the pie hole? Intimately. It is a Intimately. wildly cheap version of some of that high end things that you've got that we're going to potentially take a look at. So everybody strap in because there's a bunch of stuff that's going to be uh, potentially coming down the pipes in the next um, once every year or uh, four times Quarterly? a year. Quarterly. Yeah. Other things like password managers, which we've spoken about in the past, and we're going to try to nail down some sort of idea around password managers from a home security idea, which ones are safe, which ones are not safe. What sort of idea is ideal to look for? We're not necessarily going to promote anything because we're not supported or uh, what's the word? Sponsored. Sponsored by anything. We're just going to take our own look at things and potentially say these are the things that we like about what we see. Other things like this. These are This is a, a whole home security idea that I think is fantastic. Do you, okay. you want to go with this or no? Yes. Um, as we're talking through this and coming up with metaphors and getting distracted down our own little rabbit holes... I'm thinking maybe quarterly is probably not frequent enough, but we'll discuss that offline as to what kind of frequency we can maintain and manage. Shut your beautiful mouth. Here's <laughs> what's going on. We're setting an expectation. We're going to beat the expectation by doing it half a yearly. Wait, I don't understand how. No, I don't understand the, fractions. That's how expectations work. I don't understand fractions either or expectations. Listen, we're going to try and do what we do. We're going to set the expectation that this is now a quarterly show. 
we're going to smash those expectations by doing a weekly episode. So tune in no. tomorrow for the no. next episode. <laughs> Again, this is not how this works. It's, I, I don't <laughs> understand fractions. Uh, yeah, so you're right. We have a lot more to cover on this. Uh, there's lots of different topics about how you can control stuff and what's easy and cheap to do. Uh, and then what if you have a higher level of paranoia, it looks like to be safe and how much effort maybe that is. So maybe recapping on the stuff that we already did, just using the equipment that your telecom provider gives you. It's fairly easy to do the basics of changing the default password, changing the Wi-Fi password for that, maybe setting your own SSID, which we didn't talk about, but I'm talking about now anyways. Um, And maybe if you don't just trust it, maybe standing up another piece of equipment on the other side of that, that you fully control and fully manage and that the telco can't manage at all. And then being in a little bit more control and setting up your network for having a guest VLAN, you know, is really easy to do. And then having your own kind of network for your computers and and stuff that you deem as more valuable. So we had talked about that. There are a lot of frameworks that make sure that you don't miss anything. So I'm going to take maybe a popular framework and post it to our show notes and you and i will will tackle a few of these in some depth yeah as to the different kinds of controls that you can put into place to protect yourself and then there's um, some attacker type frameworks where we can talk about this control actually protects you against these kind of attacks yeah it is more work for us but i think it's probably better to make sure that we don't miss out on things So that's what season two of the Insecurity Podcast is really going to be all about. Actually, if you have questions about your home setup or questions about what you could do better in your environment, why don't you just email us feedback at in-security.org and we'll discuss it and it'll be helpful for other people at the very least. So yeah, that'd be really helpful. Hey Matt, while I was securing my home network, I found uh, this note to tell you to have yourself a good week. Oh, thanks buddy. You have yourself a good week too. Do you want this note? No, just set it on fire. Mm